Hello, I'm Brandon Martini, a commercial pilot and flight instructor. And I'm Carson Vasquez, I'm a private pilot. And you're listening to the Aviation Mentors Podcast, sponsored by Stratus Financial. So buckle up, because the Aviation Mentors are taking off. Welcome back, everybody, to an awesome and amazing episode of the Aviation Mentors Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. We're looking to have some fun today. Carson's not feeling so well, and I just had him do like four outtakes of our intro today. So we're laughing pretty hard right now. I don't know. I feel like I'm in a better mood now. I think I've had the stomach flu for the last couple of days, but that cheered me right up. Good. Happy it did. <laughs> Brought a smile to Carson's face. It's the first time for everything, guys. <laughs> I'm, I'm healed. 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 Yeah, it just takes laughter. That's all it is. So today, we're actually going to be discussing something that we're all starting to face uh, across the U.S., and it's cold weather. Cold weather is something that we deal with as pilots for a number of reasons. We're going to kind of discuss a little bit about what goes into that today. Today in Southern California, where we're based out of, we're getting our first rain of the season. I'm looking outside. It doesn't look like it's going to rain yet, but the weatherman says it is, and we'll see what he says about it actually coming down. But today's the first day of the rain, so we figured we'd have a time to discuss, kind of to prepare for, we're getting what's called El Nino this year, and it's an El Nino winter, and what that's supposed to have, cold temperature, lots of precipitation, lots of storms. And uh, things that are generally not great for flying, which makes this a great topic, I think. And across the U.S. even, I believe people are going to start getting snow pretty soon if they haven't already. And real winter flying is going to start happening. Yeah, well, I, for one, prefer to fly in the winter, at least the Southern California winter. because It's not too crazy, but it's cold. And the planes I've always flown don't really climb well between me and the summer heat. I can probably take a 172 and make it up to Big Bear. And I think this time last year was the first time I did that. So that was a pretty cool experience because it's always been, you know, me and an instructor can't fit and go up to Big Bear together in a 172. By the way, always remember, if you're going to fly up in a high altitude location like Big Bear, keep in mind, we talk about density altitude in the summer. We don't talk about density altitude as much in the winter. But remember, if you're flying up to a high altitude elevation, you should still check your density altitude. So I'm just going to throw that out there because it's really important. And whenever somebody brings up Big Bear or high altitude flying, I always bring up density altitude it's okay we can go back into it later i promise there's space for it <laughs> <laughs> like density altitude there's a lot that can go into a flight in the cold so let's get into it the first thing is the pre-flight you have to make sure that plane is going to be ready to fly and that includes a lot especially in the winter so aside from all the normal things you do there's a couple additions you need to make to that checklist you need to thaw out the airplane there could be ice from the precipitation overnight could have rained and could have frozen there's been a lot of boarding flights because I used to work in the morning. So I would do a morning flight like 6 a.m. I'd have to spend about an hour. So I'd get there early just to thaw out the plane, just to defrost the windshield and defrost the wings. There was a lot to it. And defrosting that window is not as easy as it sounds. I don't know what it is about that plexiglass. It does not want to get clean. But I went to school in Utah. So I came down with a little snow brush that I used on my car up there and it worked like a charm. But we just don't have those here. So that's why the windshield got all scratched up after, huh? By the way, don't use a snow brush like Carson did. <laughs> it's not smart. I used the squeegee part of it. Excuse me. Okay, fine. The squeegee part of it will work. All right. I, I digress. Yeah, thank you. I'm basically Utah. I, I got it down. <laughs> but planes are also harder to start. It takes a little bit more time, and you have to be a little bit more delicate with it so you don't flood the engine too, because that's a big problem, especially at flight schools. I saw that a million times. You need to check your pitot tubes, make sure they work and make sure they work well. And if you have anything de-icing on your airplane, check it. Check the de-icing boots for cracks and make sure they work. And something else you don't think about, adding some extra air to the tires and the struts. That cold air is going to 
you know, condense and not going to be as much air. So you add a little bit extra. And another thing, lubricants can lose their viscosity and that cause more friction. So that means you need to add more oil, even change the oil in the winter and make sure everything's up to par. And aside from that, you need to dress warm. At least the planes I flew did not have a lot of heating. They had a, a cabin heat that would burn your leg when you pulled it. And that was about it. So make sure you're warm. Otherwise, that flight is not going to be as fun as you hope it will be. And aside from the plane, you have to spend some extra time making sure it's safe for you to fly. Yeah, I would have to agree with all of those things. Thawing out the plane and defrosting the window. Sometimes that's easier if you are in the Midwest or the North where you deal with real winter weather. Places like that actually have things called heated hangers, which are fantastic, by the way. <laughs> I've used them a couple times. And I would say the biggest one is that dressing. Well, maybe not the biggest, but one that people often forget is how warm they really need to dress. Because most people bring, at least in California, you bring enough clothes to, to keep you warm from, from your house to the car. And the car gets nice and toasty. So you can just have a light jacket or something. But remember, you're flying in an airplane at an elevation where it gets progressively colder the higher you go. <laughs> you definitely need to have some layers on at the very least. Wear some thick socks or, or do whatever you need to do. Unless that heater really works well on your legs like Carson was talking about because I've flown lots of airplanes that are like that. And I think a heating duct actually came undone or something while I was flying the other day in Dave's RV. And the funny thing is, I don't know what happened, but I didn't have the heater pulled. And all I feel is this heat coming down on my legs. And it's like radiating. It's like burning my legs. So I had to fly home from 29 Palms to back over to Chino with my legs being burned the other day. So I actually, I barely used the rudder and I just like crossed my legs and kept them back. Luckily, there was no wind or anything. I didn't really need to use the rudder pedals that much, but it was interesting. I can vividly feel that heat on my leg. Like I, like I know exactly what it feels like, exactly where on my shin it lands. That heat is unforgettable. I don't know what it is about it, but all planes make me feel like that. That's hilarious. Well, I can tell you it just happened to me the other day, literally last weekend when I was flying it back. So also, you need to look out for some other things. You need to check the METARs and TAFs. I mean, you, that's what you should be doing every flight, right? Your NW craft checklist, you should be doing it all the time, but you really should be checking them even more closely. You need to check what the freezing levels are. There's actually something that's really a big misnomer that I would always catch students on stage checks when I used to do them and, of course, exams. And I would ask them and I would look outside and I would make them look outside and it would be a completely clear day, but it would be a cold winter day, but very clear, not a cloud in the sky, blue skies, no weather around, nothing. And I would say, hey, let's check the freezing level on aviationweather.gov. So we go and check the freezing level and the freezing level, it freezes at 5,000 feet. So I say, hey, today, here's our hypothetical situation. We're going to take off and we're going to fly from Riverside to Vegas or something like that. And I want to cruise to Vegas at 10,000 or 11,000 feet or whatever I needed to fly. And I said, can we do it? That's my goal. I need to get over these mountains and the freezing level is 5,000 feet and the mountains are over 5,000. Can we fly? And Carson, do you know what the answer I got was 99% of the time? They'd probably say, no, we can't because the freezing level is 5,000. Correct. Yeah, that's exactly what they would say. I alluded to that, didn't I? Oh, that was a pitch up and I knock out of the park for you, Carson. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Can we do a, a little CFI, go back and forth? Yeah, exactly. So I always ask this question to them and I always get that same answer. And it actually led to me having to tell the flight instructors they need to spend a little bit more time on this. And I've asked students kind of all over the US this question and everyone still has the same idea unless they progress into usually an instrument student. And I've actually have had basic instrument students that have started telling me the same thing, which boggled my mind as well. But I digress. <laughs> Keep in mind, if there is no visual moisture in the air, you're not going to get in-flight icing 
you can get different types of icing, but you're not going to get icing on your wings. You're not going to get icing on your pitot tube or things like that. So keep that in mind. There needs to be visual moisture for you to actually obtain icing. So make sure you check the icing levels, but don't stop yourself from a flight if there's no visual moisture in the sky, okay? It seems like an easy thing to know, but it wasn't. It wasn't for me, actually. I was one of those people that didn't know either for a long time. So don't feel bad if you have to ask. I always tell everybody, ask all the questions. You also need to recognize conditions that can lead to icing, such as the one that I just explained. And also carburetor icing can happen a lot easier when it's a lot colder or the dew point's a little bit lower compared to the temperature outside. And then you should know your plane's limitations. You should find out really how to start your airplane if it's a cold day. Do you need to add extra prime? Like what, what are the conditions that your aircraft likes to start in? You could fly two different 172s that are the same year and the same model, and the airplanes start just a little bit differently. Every airplane starts a little bit differently. I mean, the techniques may still be the same in the POH, but just maybe you need to have the throttle pushed in like a tenth or a twentieth of an inch more, and it just starts so much better in this airplane. It's just a feel thing that you get. So get checked out on every airplane you fly, especially in the in the cold weather. Ask your flight instructors these things. So those are all big, big things that are that are kind of important to winter flying. Well, have you had any experiences where you've had to deal with this kind of winter weather? And what did you look out for? Yeah, you kind of alluded to it in one of your, your opening statement today, actually. And that was icing on pre-flight. So I have two vivid uh, examples of icing on pre-flight that I, I remember. One of them was I bought an airplane, the last three was five zero whiskey, and I bought it in I bought it in Washington State. And the weather looked good for several days before we went up there. And I got up there and we come out in the morning to go prep the airplane to leave. And it had a half inch of ice over the entire airplane. I mean, the whole thing, it was like freezing rain happened overnight or something, and it just froze the airplane. It was like a frozen popsicle. And I'm out there trying to get ice off the wings, and I think I'm barely an instrument-rated pilot at this time. Maybe I just had my private. I don't remember, but I don't think I was a commercial pilot at this time. I didn't know what to do, so I'm scraping ice off the wings, and I actually scraped some paint off of the wing trying to get the ice off, and I was just messing this plane up, and luckily I got a good deal on it, and I was going to do work to it anyways, but it was just like I was not being nice to this airplane. And finally, some guy comes over to me and it's like, do you want to use our heated hanger? It's like, those exist? What's a heated hanger? And I bring the airplane over to the heated hanger. It literally hangs out in there for 15 minutes. We pull the airplane out after all the ice thawed off of it. And I grab a squeegee, a big giant squeegee, and I squeegee the floors and thank thank the guy for, for letting us use this heated hanger. And it helped quite a bit. And by the way, I wasn't dressed that warm on that day. I didn't bring enough clothes from Southern California winter. I wasn't from Northern California or Washington winter. So it was pretty funny. But that was one time I had to deal with it. And luckily we got the ice off. But I tried for like 45 minutes to pull ice off that airplane. And I guess this guy must have been watching me just struggle and felt sorry for me at the end of it. We had credit cards out. We had ice scrapers. Out. It was It was terrible. And then the other time was actually a little bit more stressful. Again, I didn't think this was going to happen. There was no rain forecast or anything like that. What happened was in California, we get a lot of dew in the morning, at least on different parts of the year. And there was a lot of dew on the arrow I was going to fly to actually my CFI check ride. And I get to the airport early, especially on check ride day, no matter what. And this CFI check ride, I was ready to go. And I think my CFI check ride was like at 10 or 11 a.m. or whatever time it was. It was it was an all-day affair. And I get out to the airplane and there's this thick set of ice on the airplane. And I am freaking out. I'm trying to get it. I moved the airplane into the sun. There's no heated hangers at Riverside. So I moved it into the sun. I tried to get the ice off of the plane. And finally, it started thawing out. And... 
I barely made it to that check ride. Normally I make it to check rides like 30 minutes to an hour early. By the way, anybody's taking a check ride, expect the unexpected. Show up to the airport two, three hours early. You never know what's going to happen. You could get there and something's not right. You need a mechanic to fix it right away. You never know. It's just check ride day. If it's bound to happen, it's going to happen. So, And try to avoid letting someone fly that plane before you have your check ride. I've seen a lot of times that perfectly fine. You fly the plane, someone else flies the plane, then you have your check ride and someone else comes back and something happened to that airplane. So try and book it for the day if you can. Yeah, I would concur with that. But there's some schools that don't allow that or can't allow that. Or maybe you don't want to pay for that extra time of holding the airplane. So if you have the opportunity, I would say do that. But if you don't, it's not that big of a deal, obviously. Most of the time the airplane will be fine. It's just every once in a while, something always happens and can cancel your check ride. But I was able to get all that ice off and I was able to make it over to that check ride. luckily. There's also some other things you need to be aware of. I mentioned earlier, temperature changes rapidly as you go up higher and higher and higher and it gets colder and colder and colder as those freezing levels start coming down in the winter. If you are an IFR pilot, so if you are instrument rated and you're flying into the clouds, you really need to check that icing level. There's also been times where I've checked the icing level. Icing's forecast to be one, two, three, five thousand feet higher than what I'm planning on flying IFR. And I've still gotten in flight icing and it was not forecasted. So I wasn't flying into known icing. I was flying into unknown icing. There was no icing on these reports. And you have to figure out, well, is the air warmer? Is there no clouds above me? Should I go down where it's definitely warmer and there's no clouds below me? How do I deal with this? So sometimes that's a, a difficult situation to to deal with and You have to make the best decisions on it. I think I've talked about it before, but I was flying IFR and I did not expect it. And I was flying that same arrow, by the way, and I was flying it to Las Vegas and I'm flying through the clouds nice and happily, no problems, no icing, nothing. And I come out of one cloud and like 50 feet in front of me, there is a giant black cloud in front of me. And I'm just like, oh, this isn't good. So I flip 180 degree turn because the moment I hit that cloud, I turned into an icicle. And luckily I knew there was VFR weather right behind me. And so I turned around, told ATC and descended, which was an interesting experience. I've never seen that much ice rapidly accumulate on an airplane in my life. I mean, that's winter weather for you. You need to have a backup plan to your original plan. And whenever I'm flying winter weather, I always have at least one backup plan, if not two or three. I want to make sure that I can get out of an icing condition if I need to. I don't put myself in those situations. Just remember, wherever you just came from, there was no icing there. So you can go back and there won't be any icing there either, which is a fantastic way to think about things. Don't get sucked into the getitis of continuing on and moving forward on your trip. You can always go back. And I'll tell you this, I would prefer to land on a road behind me if I ran out of fuel because I couldn't make it back. But I guarantee we live in a place where there's a lot of airports. So you can probably make it back to some airport somewhere. But regardless, I would rather land on a road than turn into an icicle and crash on a road. So make sure that you listen to yourself, have that backup plan. Don't listen to your passengers when they say, oh, we really need to get to this party for my dad's birthday or something like that. That's happened to me before. And I listened and I probably shouldn't have. I should probably turn around. Listen to yourself. When you think you should turn around or you think you should do something differently, do that. Don't just listen to your friends and passengers that don't really know about icing conditions and don't really know how an aircraft flies. So those are a few things I would look out for and what I've had to deal with in winter flying, which are always interesting. And those don't happen in the summer. You deal with density altitude in the summer. This way you got to deal with everything. Yeah, it's, it's a little more exciting. But that was the stuff you had to deal with more in the air and to deal with that kind of weather. But what about the stuff on the ground? And something I've only had to deal with a couple times, but with all the rain we're expecting this year, I think it's probably a good idea to cover it. So do you have any advice on landing on wet, cold, or even a snowy runway? Personally, I've never landed on a snowy runway, so to speak, but I have landed on a runway in Mammoth that had snow 
embankments on each side of it, like where they just plowed it. And I'll tell you this, when I landed on that runway, I landed in Cherokee 6. I borrowed my friend's Cherokee 6, my friend Darius. And he's got a fantastic airplane, by the way. I mean, he just got it painted a year or two ago and it is like red, white, and blue and beautiful. So he's at Henderson Airport. So if you ever see the Delta Papa airplane, go check it out. It's a beautiful, beautiful Cherokee 6. Outside of that though, I borrowed this airplane and actually when I landed on it, I knew that they just I mean, they had to have gotten rid of the snow somehow. That's how there's snow embankments on both sides, right? So I knew that I would probably be running into some braking issues. So I made sure to land on the very beginning of that runway, kind of at minimum airspeed, whatever I could do, full flaps. And then I treated it like it was a short field. I got the weight on the wheels pretty quickly. And then I was braking very gently. And by the way, I slid a little bit. And if you slide too much, you can end up going in a snow embankment. Or you better figure out how to get that plane flying again very quickly and by putting in power and using your rudder. If you start sliding, you're going to turn that plane into ice skates and you're going to have to get some airspeed so you can take off again off of that ice. (laughs) So be careful with that. If I were you, I would go do it with a flight instructor first. If you're going to land on a snowy or or winter packed runway, you want to make sure that you're doing it safely and competently. And even though they're putting like de-icing materials on the runway, you, you never know. You might hit a little patch of black ice or something. So be careful. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like there's a lot that goes into it. Is there places that kind of do winter flying courses and flying endorsements? And like, what goes into that? Yeah, I mean, I've I've researched a little bit. I know in Alaska, they've got a lot of winter flying courses. In Idaho, they've got some winter and, and kind of uh, mountain flying courses that you can do in the winter. And then something I actually looked into last year, and I think I want to do it this spring because that's, I believe it's in spring when it happens. And that is ski plane flying. There's no endorsement needed for ski plane flying, but I would have no idea what to do. I mean, you just have to land and you just, you stop. (laughs) I don't know how you stop. I mean, honestly, this is something I have no idea how it happens. I've asked some ski plane pilots and they said, you just have to time everything properly. And then I was thinking, well, what happens if I land and there's too much snow? And what if I sink? And like, there's so many problems you could have. What if you sink and then your propeller hits? I mean, I have so many questions. So after I do my ski plane flying course, I'll let everybody know how that goes. And uh, hopefully I'll have all the answers to those questions. But yeah, there are a lot of courses you can do on winter flying. And I would highly suggest taking them just like on city altitude flying. You do it on winter flying. You do it on mountain flying. I highly suggest mountain flying, whether you do it in the summer or the winter, or maybe you do one of each because they're both very different. Weather patterns are different in the mountains in the winter versus the summer. Density altitude, like I keep on mentioning, and then also wind direction and mountain waves, those can really affect you winter or summer. So there are some interesting things to do in the winter for winter flying courses. Absolutely. It never amazes me how much you can learn in aviation. Brandon, you have a long list of accomplishments in aviation already, as you can see from the intro and and your email outros, your signature lines. But, (laughs) you know, uh, you have a lot to learn and it's, it's cool. It's the best part about aviation. There's always something else to learn. And I'm really excited for the winter. I like winter flying. It's my favorite. I'm not sweating the whole time and I'm not feeling as cramped. So I like it. I'm, I'm really excited for it. Absolutely. And I'm excited for some more winter flying. I know that when I flew that RV last weekend, it was fantastic. And actually yesterday I flew with some friends over to Catalina Island for lunch and that was an amazing flight as well. And a quick note on that, it doesn't have anything to do with winter flying, except for it was a little bit cooler yesterday. It wasn't cold, but it was a little cooler. But on the way back from this flight we did yesterday, I saw the largest pod of dolphins I've ever seen flying. By the way, I've looked for dolphins and whales for years over the Pacific Ocean. I've never, ever, ever seen them. And I saw thousands of dolphins jumping out of the water yesterday. 
it was mind-blowingly amazing. I ended up circling for like 15 minutes just watching the dolphins and it was beautiful. So that was just one of those things that you do. I've been flying a lot more lately and one of those things you do and kind of sporadically, I made this plan just two days ago with my friends and said, let's go flying. So we ended up going and getting a, a great lunch at Catalina. You know me and my health kick, I got a Caesar salad. But Jody got this amazing looking burger, by the way. I don't think it was a buffalo burger, but it had like bacon and and like sauteed grilled onions and all this other stuff, things that I wish I could eat. And it was amazing. I mean, just flying in the winter where it's cooler and you can take a few people with you and have a great time. It's, it's fantastic. Thanks so much for listening today, guys. I hope you gained some insight into winter flying and kind of the love of flight that we have. And you're always learning something. You can always learn something new and interesting. If you want to reach out to either one of us, you can reach out to uh, me. It's Brandon at AviationMentors.com. And for Carson, it's Carson at AviationMentors.com. And don't forget to hit to follow on whatever streaming platform you're listening to. It really helps us with our numbers. It tells us where to focus attention when we post. And we really appreciate all the feedback that we get from you guys. And thanks so much for listening as always. And you're a huge part of helping us grow the podcast. And I think we're over 55,000 downloads as of today. You know, we hit 50,000 about a week ago, and it's just going up more rapidly than it ever has before. So thank you so much for listening. Please share this with your friends, family, and anybody who enjoys aviation, and even your nervous passenger friends that just want to learn a little bit about aviation and why we actually take it so seriously and why it's so safe. It's safer to go fly the airplane than it is to drive the car to the airport. So thanks so much for listening, guys. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, everyone. And as a wrap-up for the day, remember, we're here to guide you in your aviation journey. So fly safe and enjoy the ride. See you.